the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. HR.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. the shadow
stars by night or the sun to shine by day for it was the new Jerusalem and that I love that song. I'm so eager to be with Jesus. I'm so sick of the darkness and the heaviness and the evil of this world. I want to be with Jesus. I know his love is so magnificent. Never failing. Well, there was a man in the scriptures who wanted to see Jesus. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for listening to this broadcast today. I hope you'll listen to the entire broadcast. It will not be real comfortable. We're talking about the great white throne judgment. It is a reality. You will one day, soon, stand before the judgment bar of God. And there you will have to give account for what you have done. Whether good or evil. And if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, When the judgment is passed, angels of God will carry you 
and cast you into the lake of fire. This is so serious. It's so terrifying. It's so real. Let's talk about that today. But let's begin by talking about a man who wanted to see Jesus. But he didn't want to come to him during the day when anyone else would see him come. He was a part of the rulership, the governance of the Jewish people. He had an envied seat on the Sanhedrin, which was the governing body. He was, by training and practice, a Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee in that day was one who prayed three times a day. He was a man who fasted at least one day a week. He tithed everything he received. That is, he gave 10% of all that he had. Plus, he gave alms to the poor. He gave for special projects for the temple. He observed all of the weekly, monthly, and annual feasts and celebrations. He literally kept the Old Covenant law. And I suspect he kept it very well. He was a man of integrity. He wanted to see this new young preacher who had come out of nowhere, who had been endorsed by John the Baptist, whom he knew all about. And this young preacher was healing people. And he wanted to see who this man was. And so he came at night. His name was Nicodemus. Nicodemus means victor or conqueror. So Nicodemus came during the night. So no one would see him coming. And he would not have to answer any questions about why he had gone to see this man. He did not want his visit to seem like an endorsement. And so he came, and he was very complimentary to Jesus. He called him rabbi, even though he knew he was not a rabbi. He had not graduated from the school of the, of the rabbis, the rabbinical seminary. But he called him rabbi to honor him. He said, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. And he was right. That was absolutely true. And now Jesus responds. But his response is shocking. His response is shocking. Listen to how Jesus responds to this old man who is dignified, extremely wealthy with tin mines in Europe. This is a very rich and powerful man. Jesus responds to him in John, the third chapter, the third verse. I tell you the truth. That was a way of speaking in that day to say, listen, what I'm going to say to you is absolutely true. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, the word kingdom was well understood by, by Nicodemus. It meant 
divine authority and rulership over the domain of God. It was not a geographic place. It was an exercising of divine authority. And Jesus is saying you cannot enter under the divine authority of God. You cannot be a part of what I'm doing. I am coming to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. You cannot be a part of this, Nicodemus, unless you are born from above. Well, Nicodemus, a little frustrated by what Jesus has just said to him, it's almost like it was a conversation crash, an ending. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus Ask this question in all honesty. He said, Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Look, Jesus, how can I be born? I'm an old man. I've lived my life. How can I be born again? How can I be born from above? Jesus answers. Now, We have a way in the church today of giving answers that pleases the flesh. You're going to find today that the answers that I bring to you from Jesus, from his own words, will cut directly across what many of you have been taught, and it will make you uncomfortable. But please, the times we live in are so desperately serious. The economy is crashing. The dollar is collapsing. Pornography, fornication, adultery, drunkenness, carousing and party time. It is all about us. And now with Black Lives Matter, we have Marxism and socialism and communism with the destruction of the, of the family. We have the murder of babies. We have every evil and wicked thing that has flooded like a vile flood of vomit into America. This is not the America I was born into many years ago. Yes, it was not righteous then, but it was not so utterly evil in that day as it is now. You cannot watch television for but a moment and be embarrassed by the, by the utter wickedness of what you see there. You cannot but be embarrassed unless you have been jaded by the soft porn that you see as advertising. We live in such an evil day. And the answers that Jesus has for us in this last day are very uncomfortable answers. I recognize that some of you will probably just turn this broadcast off because you don't want to talk about your carousing, your clubbing. You don't want to talk about how you like to get together with the guys for an evening out 
smoke your cigars, have some beer, gamble a little together with some cards, talk about fishing and football and all the other things that many guys like to talk about. I've been in in dinners with church groups of men and I've sat and listened as they have told their coarse jokes, passed them out one to another on the internet, come and ha-ha about them. Never once, except for the blessing for the dinners, bow our heads and say a quick blessing and thank you very much. And then back to the coarse, wicked conversation. And when I have, in these meetings, broached, have you brought anybody to Jesus in your church this year? No. Where have the new members, well, they've transferred from other churches. No new salvation. I am so diswrought by the wickedness of the American church, and I know that's why God vomited the church out of its buildings. We're not going back to normal until we go back to Jesus. Until we go back to Jesus, we're not going back to normal. Jesus won't allow it. Well, Jesus answers Nicodemus and he says, again, I tell you the truth. I'm not playing games with you, Nicodemus. Here's the raw truth of the matter. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Water for cleansing and washing of the sin. Washing of the filth of the world. You can't enter the kingdom of God loving the things of darkness. You can't enter the kingdom of God lusting after women, men, money, prestige, power, angry and bitter. You cannot enter the kingdom of God like that. You have to be washed. And then you have to be given birth in the Spirit, which is a supernatural work of grace. What terrifies me is that most people I encounter in the church today have never been washed. They've been superficially cleaned up. They may have stopped their alcohol or their drugs or their their smoking. They may have turned away from some other wickedness, but their life is a life of flesh, not of Holy Spirit. That's including the pastors. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born from above. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This is talking about the man or the woman who has been washed in water, cleansed of filth, and brought into the Holy Spirit. 
this person will no longer function like a person of the world. They won't tell the same jokes. They won't go to the same places. They will not be interested in the same things. Their focus will be on Jesus, on the Word of God, and service and ministry and acts of love for the people about them. They will no longer spend their time trying to consume the entertainment of the world. It is filthy. It is derogatory. It is nasty. There is nothing redeeming about the world's entertainment today. It is utterly dark. It is demonic. And some of you, hurts me to say this, some of you have encouraged your children to read the Harry Potter novels or to watch the Harry Potter movies. And you have taught your children about witches and how to make spells. And what you don't know is that your children are trying those in private. You've taught your children about Pokemon, the Japanese gods. I go down to walk in a little town close by, by the river called Occoquan. And every time I go there, there are crowds on the weekend with their telephones out, walking all over town, collecting Pokemon, Japanese devils. We give our children the Pokemon cards so they can play with them as though they are innocent. They're not innocent. They're demonic. The great concern I have. Have you been washed in the water? Have your children... Some of you don't even attend a church anymore. You may have a little service with your family, but that's not church. I spoke with one person and they said, yes, we do. We do a little worship service every week with our children. Well, that's not church. If you're not adding people to your family, to worship with you, you are not doing church. You are forsaking the assembly of yourself with other like Christians. But pastor, I don't like that church and and there's something wrong over here. And someone said to me, pastor, there's something even wrong with your church. Well, yeah, there is. That's true. I've never been to a church where there was not something wrong in somebody's eyes. We love to judge. Can I tell you? If you are not taking your family to church, or if you as a family are not trying to win people and being successful, it is because you have not entered fully into Jesus yet. You are still walking in selfishness. You are still walking in arrogance before God. And his judgment will be upon you. And you are training your children 
to be religious pagans. Because they'll grow up and say, well, mom and dad didn't go to church. They just had a little time of prayer and study in the house. We never included anybody else in our worship. We were fine, just us. That's not the church. (laughs) Nicodemus didn't like what he was being told. He said, how can this be? You're a teacher in Israel, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But you, you don't accept my testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. That is Jesus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. If you are not participating in lifting Jesus up for the world, you are part of the problem. And then comes that wonderful passage of Scripture that the modern church loves to escape into. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Yes, Jesus does love the world. He died for the world. He loves you. And he's calling you out of wickedness. Now let me read a passage in Matthew again. And I'm going to be very much today on the sayings of Jesus as we deal with these issues. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Jesus has just given the Sermon on the Mount. He's talked about being a light, not hiding it under a basket. If you're doing church, so-called, which is not church, in your house, you are hiding your light under a basket. If you don't like to go to church because stinky people sit next to you, then you've got a problem with Jesus. You don't have a heart of compassion yet, and you're filled with arrogance and pride. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished, that is, until he comes in the clouds of glory. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That is, he won't even get there. I'll show you that in a moment. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of God. 
Now listen. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus kept all the law outwardly. Jesus is saying Nicodemus can't enter because he's not been washed yet and he's not been filled with the Spirit yet. And he's saying, you're going to have to be more righteous than Nicodemus was. Who committed no outward sin. And then he begins, Jesus begins to talk about exactly what he's saying. What kind of sin is he addressing? Well, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. So if you are angry with your brother or sister, you have murdered them. And you call them names, you call them fools, you call them stupid. You see, there's an incredible heart of compassion that God has that he wants to put into our hearts for other people, a love for other people. And then he goes on. You've heard that it was said in verse 27, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gorge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of it. Now, I'm wondering, why isn't Jesus telling us that we are declared righteous, that he imputes his righteousness to us? Why is he saying we must meet a very high standard of moral behavior in order to be saved? I thought we were saved by faith alone. That's what the teachers want to say. You can continue walking in your sin and you're saved. That's not what Jesus said. Do you see why I'm so concerned? And said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that if anyone divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. Wow. You just can't divorce. Didn't you, when you got married, say, until death do us part? And yet some people call themselves Christians and walk away from their marriage. And they walk under a curse of God. Now that can be forgiven if it's properly repented of, if it's turned away from. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies 
Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you are not even the tax collectors doing that? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be complete, in other words. Then he talks about giving to the needy, taking care of the poor. He talks about a secret prayer room where we meet one-on-one with the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about forgiving those who've hurt us. He talks about not storing up treasures on earth where they can be stolen or the government can take them, but to give for the work of the gospel and for the poor. You can't serve both God and money. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all the things that pagans run after. Jesus knows you need clothes and food and a house and transportation. He knows you need that. He'll supply that. Well, are you getting the picture? Let me read for you now a passage of Scripture. Over here in the book of Revelation. This is a terrifying passage, but I need to read it for us. Revelation, the 20th chapter. I'm going to begin reading with verse 11. And by the way, you're welcome on the live chat if you're watching on YouTube. Please make some comments. Do you understand what I'm saying today? Does it make sense? I'd love to hear from you. I pray you're encouraged by this broadcast, not discouraged. I pray you make the decision to enter fully into Jesus so that you don't have to face that judgment day and be cast into that lake of fire. Do you understand? Today is a rescue message. There's such love in my heart for you. I don't want you to die on that day. I want you to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven with you. And I'd love to hear from you sitting in heaven saying, Pastor Ray, I heard that message on the white throne judgment. And I said, I've got to change. I've got to, I've got to get ready to go to heaven. Revelation 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, and earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. The physical realm fled away. 
They were terrified. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Oh, they were alive again now, but they were dead. They'd been brought to judgment. And now they stand before the judgment bar of God. And Jesus is on the throne. And the books are opened. The records of heaven are opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged. You will be judged according to what they had done. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought I was taught by Charles Stanley and by others that when I stood before the judgment bar of God, God would not see me. He would see Jesus and all of my sins. I was declared righteous because Jesus is righteous. All of his righteousness was imputed to me and I was saved. That's what the false prophets of our day are teaching. And they're lying to you. I can't put it any plainer than that. You are going to face the judgment bar of God. And when you face the judgment bar of God, you're not going to be judged on what Jesus did while he was on the earth. Revelation says, and this is the word of the risen Lord Jesus. Now, I've said this before, but I need to say it again. Please, interpret the writing of the apostles through the eyes of the Gospels and of Revelation. Jesus is God. He is our Savior. The Apostle Paul, as important as he is, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John, as important as they are, must be understood through the words of Jesus. I just read out of Matthew where Jesus is saying that what you do is how you'll be judged. And now in the book of Revelation, the book of record is opened and the dead are judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. That is not saying you are judged based on the imputed grace of Jesus Christ. That's a lie. A damnable lie. It'll take you to hell. The sea gave up the dead. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Twice. The word of God says you will be judged based on what you have done, not on what Jesus did. It will be your actions that matter. It will be your attitudes that count. It will be the person you are that will matter.
on the great day of judgment. You cannot escape that day. You will be brought against your will to stand before the judgment bar of God. Your case will have been carefully examined and a judgment will have been rendered. And if it's like an American court, you will go before the judge and he will ask for the charges. And then he will turn to you and say, guilty or not guilty. If you say guilty, you are sentenced. If you say not guilty and you ask for a jury trial, you will be granted a jury trial. But in this case, the jury has already met on your behalf. And they have rendered a judgment. So when you, when you hear the evidence, perhaps it will be shown on a screen and you see yourself in reality. Perhaps it will be flashed through your mind and you will see everything clearly. And then a judgment is passed upon you. Either a judgment to eternal damnation or a judgment to eternal life based on what's in the books of record and the Lamb's book of life. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I mean, let that settle in your heart. Do you hear it? A day of judgment's coming. Are you ready? Are you ready for the day of judgment? Now, if we look at Romans, the sixth chapter, which I've been preaching on, the Lord told me to speak tenderly to the church. I'm trying to do that today. Listen. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Absolutely no. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That baptism enables you, by God's grace, to live a new life. If you cannot live a new life, if you are still in the midst of Romans 7, doing what you hate, not able to gain the victory, it's because you have refused to die. If you say to me, Pastor, I try as hard as I can, but I just keep going back to that pornography. I keep going back to that masturbation. I keep going back to that fornication. I keep going back to that anger and hurt and bitterness. I keep going back to all that wickedness. 
it's because you have not yet been crucified with Christ. Now that should be good news to you because it means there is a way out and it's called death to self. It means that you identify those sins that are captivating you and you get on your face before God and one by one you bring them before Jesus and you honestly tell him, this is my fault. I've made these choices and I'm now in bondage and the chains are binding me and I cannot set myself free. Jesus, will you set me free now? I give myself to you, Jesus. I will not go back to that fornication. I will not be in this relationship where I am shacked up with somebody I'm not married to, even though I love them. We're either going to have to get married or we're going to have to go our separate ways. Oh, I can't do that, Pastor. Oh, you don't want to go to heaven? You want to go to hell? You want to take your partner to hell? Really? Get clean. Get washed. Be changed into the likeness of Jesus. Listen. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, if you look with me in the book of Second Peter, chapter 2, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, and they will secretly introduce destructive heresies the most destructive heresy that has been brought into the church today is that you cannot stop sinning. That the blood of Jesus does not have the power to break the bondage of sin. That You have to wait until you die for that to happen. Well, death is not my Savior. Jesus is my Savior. And he's broken the bondage of sin in my life. He will do the same for you. even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. How did they deny the sovereign Lord? By saying we can't quit sinning. Nobody's perfect. Oh, really? Nobody can stop sinning. Really? You don't understand the gospel. You don't understand understand what Jesus did for you on Calvary. His blood is powerful, the most powerful thing in the universe. And he will set you free. He will wash you and cleanse you and heal you. He will restore you. It says they bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways. What is shameful? Sin. 
they will follow their sinful ways. This is the church. Is it any wonder the world is so filled with vile wickedness when the church has no power? The church has no power because the church is walking in a a false, destructive heresy. They have brought the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they've made up. They'll entertain you. They'll tell jokes. They'll laugh. They'll be good buddies. But they won't rebuke you for your sin, and they won't tell you that you must die. They'll tell you the imputed grace of Jesus covers you. You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. Liar, liar, your pants are on fire. You have brought a false prophetic word to the people of God. You are a false teacher. You are teaching heresy. And you will take many people to hell. I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. If God did not spare angels when they sinned but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. What? Wait a minute. If that's what he's done, look at the history. Do you think he's going to treat sin any differently today or in the day of judgment? No, he's not. Lord, the cry of my heart is that your people would get on their face and confess specific sin and weep before you and be cleansed be freed, be set free. Lord, the church is lukewarm today and you're about to spit us out. You've already spit us out of the buildings and now we're about to be spit out of your mouth if there is not honest repentance. But Lord, the the self-assured liars of our day have told us we don't need to repent. We're saved. We're okay. Just generally confess, forgive me for my sins and say a little sinner's prayer. Lord, forgive us. Deal with our hearts and deal with your church. Call your church now, Lord, to be crucified with you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, we're out of time. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Would you, if you're watching on YouTube, would you subscribe to our channel? That will help us be spread even more widely by Google. And I really need your help. We need to build a fund to pay for the radio for this month. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, 
and the broadcast and the podcast will be up later this afternoon. You can watch it again. You watch it on your YouTube page or Twitter. Please help get the word out. And please get on your face before God and pray for yourself and for the church, for me. I need your prayers. You're also welcome. The National Prayer Chapel is a real church. We're not the typical. We're a very small fellowship, a home church. We had an awesome service yesterday. The Holy Spirit was there. And then we had lunch afterward. It was a wonderful time, and you're welcome to come. Go to our webpage, and you'll find all the information there, nationalprayerchapel.com. My brother, my sister, I love you. I'd love to meet you. I'm hoping soon that we can set up a time when I can invite you to come and even get a hug. You know, it's all about love in the body of Christ, caring for each other, caring about Jesus. Thank you for listening today. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you. Presence of his glory will bring joy.